Hello and welcome to Making a Better New. My name is Steven Kashishian. I'm your co-host and sound engineer. I'm Bill Woodson, Dean of Outreach and your co-host for Making a Better New. How's it going, Steven? It's going good, Dr. Woodson. I think you have a little PSA for us. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening in this whole pandemic situation, which we thought we were trending to uh, a positive place up until, what, 45, 60 days ago. And it's difficult right now. And to tell you the truth, uh, what's happening uh, with this emergence of the Delta variant and uh, hopes of a more normal fall semester being put, you know, on the uh, on the emergency room account. I mean, it's really, it's not looking good. So it's really tried people's uh, tempers. Uh, people are getting very frustrated with the uh, choices that their neighbors are making. I, I think most of us are taking the pandemic seriously and taking the virus seriously. But even what that means, means different things to different people. And it's bringing out a lot of adverse behaviors, a lot of impatience, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of meanness. And I'm concerned about that. Um, me too. You know, vaccine hesitancy is something that I see within my own family. It's not a Facebook comment. It's, it's the lives of people I love. And I worry about their health and they also worry about their health and they think that the vaccine's more dangerous. And I've been in constant communication with my mother about her getting her first dose of, of the vaccine. And it's been a, a, a tug of war of, you don't know better, leave me alone. And it's been frustrating. And I've wanted to resort to be like, please look at the data. Don't be, don't be stupid. And I realized that that approach is nothing more than just futile. And yeah, I think I've got a sister who's also uh, declining to vaccinate. And in her case, she does have a history of uh, adverse reaction to vaccination. And so I get that. But I get frustrated when I hear her sort of bad mouthing vaccines for everybody. I mean, it's just one person in a thousand that has a kind of adverse reaction to discourage the other 999 feels wrong to me. But I know she's sincere and I try to be respectful of that. My mother being a type two diabetic, you know, I worry. Right. And I've been trying to come uh, with patience and love and being like, listen, I care about you, mom. I want you to be around. And she recently, you know, she may have not reached out to me, but she reached out to my sister uh, about the different types of vaccines and is hopefully getting vaccinated soon. And I do want to say as someone who's contracted the virus in the past, um, we, we don't know how you get it sometimes. I was at work when I received mine. And, you know, sometimes that when you're trying to make a living, um, it comes to you and, you know, how can you blame yourself? And to show empathy for yourself, if you do get this Delta variant for how contagious it is, um, you know, and to other people that when people, you know, get the virus, I always says come from a place of love and assume that, 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 you know, they weren't being reckless. And this virus is very contagious just to me. Yeah, be empathetic to yourself if you have that misfortune, but also be empathetic to the people around you that uh, don't assume that they were being careless. Uh, people have been extremely careful and have gotten the vaccine, got, gotten the, uh, the virus. And then there's people who've been very uh, much, you know, throwing your cares to the wind and uh, have gotten lucky so far. Uh, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's something where we shouldn't hold each other in judgment, Perfect. but we should really lift each other up to, uh, to be careful and be, and be 
be gentle with each other as we try to navigate this thing together. Exactly. Um, all right. Moving forward, we have our final episode of Gringolandia for season one. Season two is on the way um, and is about Brazil. So I was excited about this episode. Uh, my uh, brother and sister, they're my half brother and sister, and uh, their mom is Brazilian. And I've spent time traveling on business to Rio de Janeiro, to Sao Paulo. And uh, I was really intrigued, having had my own ideas about what it means to be Brazilian, uh, how Brazilian identity is different from other identities uh, within the uh, Hispanic uh, community. I really wanted to hear how it was showing up for members of our own community. So I was excited to hear what these, uh, what these interview subjects uh, had to say. Me too. Like, I'll be very ignorant. I only knew about Brazil from the World Cup before I moved to the U.S. And it was it was exciting to get um, some insight. So enjoy the episode. But before I let you go, I do have to say I caught COVID back in January. So if you see me on campus, the runaway. All right. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't have it now. Second of all, uh, please leave us a review on, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Give us your genuine opinion. Uh, this podcast is centered around our voices, our community, and we want to make it a good listening experience for everyone tuning in. If you have any awesome ideas, any sound bites or reviews that you'd like to leave an audio message, please email it at OOIE at ncf.edu. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. Bienvenidos to Gringolandia Chats, the show where we discuss all about the Latinx experiences here at New College of Florida and beyond. I'm your host, Soy Su Anfitriona, Liz Mena. Brazil, a country considered an outlier despite being the largest country in Latin America. In this episode, Brazil is in the spotlight. We conclude this season of Ringolandia Chats by addressing major points of division between Latino, Latina, and Latinx identity and Brazilian identity. In what ways they are different and similar, why the differences are important, and how history matters in this discussion. This episode is intended to include Brazil in the conversation of Latinx identity by acknowledging the specific differences in language and culture that make Brazil so unique in comparison to the rest of Latin American history and identity. We begin this episode with historian and professor Alicia Mercado Harvey, who sets the groundwork as to why and how history matters when understanding Latin American history, which plays a role in acknowledging, understanding, and learning about Brazilian identity. Well, my name is Alicia Mercado Harvey. Um, I am a professor of um, Spanish and Portuguese, and I also teach um, Brazilian history and Lucifone world as well, because I also teach Portugal. Yes. Awesome. So my first question for you, Professor, is if you can talk about what ways Brazil's history differs from the rest of Latin America's history. Well, Brazil, it's it's an interesting case because given its continental size, you know, and, and this is something that they have up until today. Culturally, they really are, you know, very similar in many ways to the rest of Latin America. Many things are the same. But the language, it's it's interesting being such a such a close language because it is such a different, phonetically speaking, such a different language 
we have this barrier. We've always had it. Uh, wow. Brazilians generally tend to understand more Spanish because it's a, it's a more uh, it's a more complex language, phonetically speaking. So going from from up to down, it's easier. And for Spanish gotcha. speakers, it's always harder to understand yeah. Portuguese spoken Portuguese because the phonetics are just so different. You also have the issue of size, you know, like the United States, when you have a country this big, you, you have a sense of isolation. It's very similar to what happens to the United States. You know, this sort of, um, you know, exceptionality thing comes from thinking, well, we're our own continent. Brazil has exactly the same issue. And, and economically, you know, they're, they're just so much bigger than any other country in, in South America. And so that is part of the reason. But historically speaking, you know, um, going back, right. they've also had a very different history from the rest of uh, South America in yes. Latin America in general. You know, I mean, the, the fact of that, that they did not have independence the way that every other colonial um, country had with Spain, the way they separated, you know, when the, the situation that what sparked the independence movements is the same, you know, the king, the French invaded the Iberian Peninsula. But the end result in Spain and in Portugal were so different that that also ripples opens with the colonies. But Portugal was completely different. They decided to actually pack their things and escape. Right. You know, so the, the entire court, you know, left Lisbon and they went into Rio. And that's how today Rio has all these palaces and monuments and things that they, yeah. yeah, and and right, that date from the from the 19th century when they came. And so that completely changed the history of Brazil in relation to. Um, the rest of, of Latin America. How does Brazil differ from other speaking, Spanish speaking countries, right? So cultural demographics um, and language, how does that, how is that different in Brazil? Um, I would say the demographics are fairly similar to some neighboring countries, like in the case of Colombia. Yes. You know, Colombia has a fairly large Afro um, population. Yes. So does Venezuela. The thing is that Brazil have had, that's, that's an interesting thing, uh, and it's not unique to Brazil, that they've had this impression that they're sort of, a, a, you know, in their mentality, this idea of racial democracy, you know, which is a, a myth that got perpetuated in the 20s, on the, yeah. on the 20th century. And so, so that, is, that is a little different from other countries uh, in the sense that they had this discourse that completely uh, does not... Um, at all um, is real. It's just it's it's just it's a myth that got perpetuated, and so Brazilians had this impression also that that there were majority white population in their heads, and that has changed over time. I think reality has finally come to you know they come to grips with reality, and in the census you see now more people declaring themselves uh, Afro descendants. Most people are mixed. You know you have a small a small percentage of the population who's actually not mixed at all mainly in the South, you know, where they had colonies right. um, where people only spoke Italian or German, you know, for, for decades. And those people tended not to mix, but it's a very small percentage of population in Southern Brazil, mm. um, you know, Santa Catarina, Rio Grande do Sul, those areas. But the rest of Brazil is pretty much a mix. So I, I think that also sheds light into like perhaps how history played a role in that in terms of not just slavery, but also just the way um, like demographics work now in the country. And, and it, because, like you said earlier, it's also compared to Colombia and Venezuela that also have a significant population of, you know, Afro-Latinos in their country as well. Um, so it's just amazing how this is, that can, can be overlooked, right? Because there's this narrative of that 
mestizo culture in Latin America and like how that's prized as a, as a component that builds nations. But really, like if you look deeper into that, there's there's layers to that, actually. Exactly. Well, and when you were talking about, you know, the reality in the United States, you know, of, of Brazilians living in the United States. Oh, yeah. In I mean, I don't have the statistics with me, but the majority of Brazilians that I have encountered in um, in in the United States in Florida, because they're you know it's yeah. either Massachusetts or Florida, they 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 would call themselves white, you know, and and so the majority of the people who've left are not those groups. By the time you're here in the U.S., Brazilians are grouped with like the rest of Latinos, even though in Latin America, feel. yeah, it's, that's not the case. Yeah. 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 They don't feel they don't feel Latinos, you know, in in many of them, they just feel Brazilian, you know, within Latinos in the U.S. I feel like it's been a convenient label, you know, because mm-hmm. in the U.S. everything has to be labeled. It's right. a convenient label to put everyone in the same boat. And it yes. is it's just kind of absurd. I mean, it's it's yes. so many different nationalities and we have so many differences among ourselves. Basically, what we have in common is a language, kind of. Yeah. And yeah. And some things on what we eat, you know, certain you know, food groups that we, you know, we eat similarly, but that's about it. So within Latin America, there does tend to be this impression or idea that Brazil is like this outsider, but in what ways is Hispanic America similar to Brazil and vice versa, Brazil similar to Hispanic America? Well, I mean, like I said, it's, it's more with a certain area of South America and it's more regional. So if we divide Brazil, because it's a continent, continental size, Yes. If you divide Brazil by north and south, the northern Brazil, it's a lot more culturally similar to countries like Colombia and Venezuela, the countries that are surrounding Brazil. Gotcha. Yeah. In in the sense of, for example, the, the food, what they eat, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, black beans, you know, with with uh, right. yeah, with rice, you know, that it's an everyday thing. Yes. And so I mean, that's for most of Brazil, but but I would say that there's also other cultural aspects of that area of Brazil that are much closer to countries like Colombia, Venezuela, sort of the Caribbean side, you know, of, okay. of, of yeah. And it's sort of the tropical side as well. You know, it's much hotter in the, in the north and all that. Very then true. on the south, the south of Brazil, it's culturally closer to countries like Argentina and Uruguay and even Chile because of the mix of the same type of immigrants that we had in those countries. Right. Lots of Germans, lots of Italians. So we've got several things in common in that, in, you know, in that area of Brazil. So it's, it, it's interesting, like where it borders, you know, what side of Brazil we're talking about, because since it's such a big country, there are huge regional differences within Brazil. Then historically speaking, can we, are there any commonalities that you could think of that could bring Hispanic America and, or Hispanic Latin America and Brazil closer? Absolutely. There are certain things that happen uh, historically and not so much in the 19th century, but very definitely in the 20th century that that puts Brazil in certain cycles that happen in Latin, in, the, in, in the history of Latin America. Agreed. As Just to give you an example, you know, in the, in the 20s, in 30s and 40s, when we have all this wave of populism and stability, a figure like Perón and Getulio Vargas are very different, but they also are very similar in the way yes. they mobilized masses and they and they were politically confused, you know, between right, right. and left and you know, right. populism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those things are very similar. And then again, the wave of, of military dictatorships um, funded and promoted by the United States, you know, happened in the 60s. And the first country that went through that was Brazil 10 years earlier than the countries in the rest of the Southern Cone. 
Brazil is similar to Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay in that history of having military dictatorships that were mm -hmm. authoritarian right, but also differences as what they've done in terms of, of examining the past and doing reparations. So the process in the sense of not doing trials, not putting people into jail, not doing any of that. Mm. And it's interesting how that plays with the history today. That's how Bolsonaro is also able to talk and say the military dictatorship was wonderful. We should go back to that. We should right. model ourselves. Because people don't have a notion of the history. Well, in countries like Argentina, in, in Uruguay, and in, in Chile, you know, you have reparations, you have the history, and you have a notion of dictatorship, even right-wing people in those wow. countries. Wow. Know yeah. that it's taboo to talk about the dictator. The dictatorship was good because wow. they know that, that that argument is a losing argument. In Brazil, it's not a losing argument because they completely lost sight of their history. You know, we, we really do need to stop having this situation of, of having Brazil as an island and, and having yes. historians that specialize on, on Latin America and they know very little and have very little notion of what you know, you specialize on the Spanish America and then you know nothing of, of Brazil, Brazil. And the, yeah. which is actually not, I couldn't say that is the reality for Brazilian historians who usually are very, very erudite on the history of Latin America. A lot of departments um, have, um, you know, Portuguese as sort of like this, this minor brother that we actually mistreat and isolate. Um, but there are also many other departments that don't want to have Portuguese. They view it as a, as a, as a competition to Spanish, which is also very absurd. Finally, we listened to one of NCS Brazilian students talk about their Brazilian identity. Welcome to Gringolandia, Babs. Um, thank you so thank much for, you. for tuning in. I'm so um, excited to do this. Um, my name is Barbara Montero. Um, I go by Babs. Um, I was born and raised in Florida. I'm really passionate about like environmental justice and um, like regarding like the Amazon rainforest. How has uh, identifying first off as Brazilian impacted your ability to identify as Latina or Latinx? I definitely don't feel like I'm 100% part of the Latina community. Um, just because it's like the Latina community is filled with people who speak Spanish and then there's like Brazil, you know? So it's like, it's just kind of like the oddball out. So I've always... I've always felt um, like identifying as Brazilian was its own kind of like big generic term, if that makes sense. Because like within Brazil, there's so many different regions that just like saying, oh, I'm Brazilian. It's like an umbrella term in itself. But it really also depends on like who's asking. When Latinas or Latinos are asking me, what is my ethnicity? Like, I feel like I can connect with them. Um, when like an American is asking me, it just feels like they're like clumping me in with like a group rather than an actual like association with, with that group. So it's just weird. Like whenever like an American asks me, I'll just be like, yeah, like I'm Hispanic or I'm Latina, you know, but then when like 
a Latina person asks me, I'll be like, okay, I'm Brazilian because they, right. they kind of understand, you know, yeah. Babs and I are in a Brazilian history class. Right? Yes. And so we know we're, we're learning. Um, I know at least I'm learning. I'm pretty sure Babs already knew this, um, that in Brazil, kind of what you were saying, right. Um, people kind of go off more from the state nationality instead of like mm-hmm. the actual like country nationality, which is kind of what, what, why she was explaining that like Brazilian is already such a broad term in Brazil. Exactly. And it doesn't mm-hmm. really justify maybe all of the identities that you can even find in Brazil. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's right. a lot of nuance within that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't even know and they, they overlook the term Brazilian. There's a lot of just like not ignorance, but uh, an unawareness and like a, mm-hmm. an inability to kind of learn and like be open to this culture. Right. Because I feel like it's just isolated in the midst of all this other rich culture and people just feel like they can't really learn about it or get into it. Um, And it's like so interesting, you know, like I really hope this conversation like opens people up to learning more about the country. Do you think Brazilians consider themselves Latinos or not? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody, obviously, but, um, based off your experience, your story, based off of what I've seen, no one really considers themselves anything but Brazilian. And then if you want to be more specific, they'll be like, oh, um, eu sou de Goiás, Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo, like that's my identity. And then if you, if you don't want to know more. I'm Brazilian. Like, do you think the context of being Brazilian and maybe Latino um, depends on the context in which this particular Brazilian or Brazilian community finds itself? Like, in terms of migration, right? If we have like, just like the rest of Latin America, right? Migration from Brazil to the U.S. Does it change feeling more comfortable going off as Latino or or what have you? From what I've seen here, there's always uh, like there's this huge festival called Brazilian Day. And it's okay. in New York, like every year, big famous wow. festival, all the like most famous Brazilian artists go wow. and it's never, you never see any other uh, kind of like cultures intermingling because within Brazil, you have like Faha music, you have rock music, you have Bossa Nova, you have all these different, it's just, it's so expansive that it's just it kind of remains within its own little world it's like in most of like other like i guess uh, countries where one can identify as latino first offhand um you have like reggaeton or merengue or this and that and although it varies from country to country as well like in brazil like you guys already like made your own have those little little niches of music within exactly with hispanics i feel like they can kind of pick and choose from their own uh, different cultures uh in the overarching kind of hispanic name you know um like how you were saying reggaeton um all these different kinds of styles yeah and then within brazil we have all these different kinds of styles and like reggaeton in brazil is called baile funky kind of right right right, which is like that kind of club music very like uh, perreo which we would call in spanish right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. right right it's so um bossa nova is like a people call it brazilian jazz um and it's very very amazing um antonio carlos jobim um gilberto gil um 
who else? Caetano Veloso. How does language um, play a role in feeling Latino or Latinx? When I when I think of Spanish and Portuguese, right. they're very close, you know, they're very similar. Um, yeah. People say that Spanish people understand or people who speak Spanish understand people who speak Portuguese. They just have that kind of underlying unity that keeps them together. Um, but like other than that, there's not really a similarity. Um, they're so different. Something interesting that I wanted to point out is that like famous artists from Brazil, instead of making their their music in Portuguese, they actually make it in Spanish because it like wow. reaches a larger audience. Like Spanish music broke the mainstream like in the United States. Spanish music is not really translated into English to make it a big hit in America, right? right, right? Yeah. But but with Portuguese, you have to, like the artist we were learning about, Anita, um, yeah. she makes a lot of songs in Spanish because wow. they're considered, like people can connect with it even if they don't speak Spanish because Spanish music, Spanish speaking music permeated American culture, right? But when right. when when Anita's speaking Portuguese, it's no one really cares. Like no one really it's just too foreign. Portuguese isn't really a language that people understand or or want to know because Spanish people think oh Spanish is it's already kind of the same thing. We already know Spanish. Why not just hear the the that music, right. you know? How mm. does speaking Portuguese impact your ability to relate to this mainstream Latino culture that is predominantly in Spanish? Well, I think when the Spanish culture meets the American culture, I don't want to say it waters it down, but it makes it more understandable for people who speak English. And right. uh, fortunately for people who also speak Portuguese, like uh, the movie Coco, I think they did a really great job of making it understandable for people who um, yeah. weren't from that culture. Right. And I felt like I could connect to it more um, because they were making it more accessible to other people mm. um, as well as to Brazilians. This increase in just um, understanding be between Spanish and Portuguese. But then I also think that it doesn't really go the other way around. Like right, right. Portuguese isn't becoming more accessible to other people, if that makes sense. In what ways do you think Brazil is part of the greater Latino identity conversation? If you think about it, all of Latin America faced some kind of colonialism, some kind of exploitation, um, like, and we're still feeling the repercussions of that throughout throughout the continent. Yep. And it's important to include Brazil in that because uh, we all felt the struggle, you know what I mean? Um, and like, you know, we still have problems of poverty, of, you know, discrimination, all of these things, which are just systematic and embedded in the continent as a whole, and also in Brazil. And so I think it's important to look at these historical ties that we all share, um, because we're also overcoming it, you know? Mm. And I think if we look at it in a, in a way of, of unity, yeah. we can kind of uplift each other and um, realize that we're actually 
very similar in a lot of ways. In terms of modern day culture, um, in what ways can we see that inclusion? Uh, well, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, this this famous uh, term in Brazil called uh, novelas, which are uh, TV like soap operas. Yeah, um, and that's like one thing that has definitely permeated into the Latin American culture as a whole. Um, and I'm actually so glad because people recognize the, these similarities present within um, novellas. Um, and so I feel like novellas have definitely brought Brazil into closer unity with the rest of Latin America. It's educational as well, you know, Absolutely. like it, it teaches them about Brazil. And so I think it's, it's amazing. It's a great way to bring people together. Muchas gracias for tuning in to our very first season of Gringolandia Chats. We hope you enjoyed our episodes. For our Latinx listeners, we hope these conversations made you feel listened to, related to, and seen. This podcast is produced by faculty members Professor Jose Martinez, Dr. Hugo Vieira Vargas, and myself. Our editing, mixing, and music is brought to you by Professor Jose Martinez. We also want to thank our student interviewees for their participation and support. For more information about the podcast or resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website. I'm your host, Soy Sanfitriana Lismena. Hasta la próxima.